I guess it could be a noun. Like a fart. Like, I kind of agree with Chan. I guess, but I think this argument is dumb and stupid. Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Ellingman. I'm JJ Artemis. And I'm Andy Kanick. And today, on this dark and stormy October night, uh, we're going to be talking about Fatal Frame, Maiden of Black Water. And I really hope that like some of the rain that's happening does get picked up, because it would go from, like, could be very creepy, and then maybe, like, relaxing, possibly. <laughs> Any of those emotions I would be cool with. Uh, but the game uh, is a survival horror game uh, that was developed by Koei Tecmo uh, and published by Nintendo in 2014 well, in Japan and 2015 uh, in like North America and Europe. Uh, and that's actually the first kind of interesting thing uh, that I feel like we should actually start with is the fact that this game is pretty much, like, even people who were fans of Fatal Frame probably haven't played this game. Because of how difficult it was to play. Like, it's a downloadable title with a huge file on the Wii U with no disk space only. And it had a limited edition physical release uh, in the U.S. And not only in Europe. Oh. It has a disc release in Japan. It had a limited release in Europe and got no physical release in the States. Nor had I even heard about it. Uh, through any channels other than you just being like, hey, you know this is a Fatal Frame game? Yeah, and I only knew about it because the year it came out, I guess 2015, on the Wii U eShop, it was like featured like on the pay front page. I was like, try the Fatal Frame demo. And I was like, ah, oh, Fatal Frame game on the Wii U. Hell yeah. That sounds pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so I played the demo and enjoyed it. The demo was really good. Yeah. Uh, like as a, as far as a demo goes, I think they uh, they they did a really good job of actually sort of like giving you an idea of what the game was, and the fact that it had a demo was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found it really memorable. Mm. Like I had, it, I played it and then immediately wanted to buy it, but then didn't for like two years because you know, no space. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> on the Wii U. So it, I'm getting the sense that this game was kind of like a background ghostly harbinger, like a specter over your lives, and something that like mysteriously came from nowhere. Well, it was, I don't know, it was something, I think we've actually even mentioned it on the podcast before. Uh, we talked about it on, uh, in Go Clip, in the car episode, <laughs> where we, uh, we, we were saying like what, why we would return to the Wii U, like if there was anything that we would go back for, mm. and this is one of the things that we listed that we wanted to go back and actually play, and uh, thankfully to the, uh, the bounty of games that is this podcast, uh, we were able to finally go and play it. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to, uh, how did you guys, well, how did you take to it, I guess? Uh, like starting out um me personally i bought i'm the one who bought the game right and, yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. Full, yeah full disclosure only one copy of this yeah. game was sold <laughs> <laughs> i updated my storage on my wii u when i wanted to play xenoblade x so i right. had space for this game so i i bought it and shared it with everyone shared it with the class 
Um, <laughs> but so when I booted it up, it was gave me the option to just like start where the demo ends, and I was like, yeah, that'll save some time. <laughs> About like Got, 10, 10 yeah, 15 minutes. Yeah, I was like, I want to uh, like make sure I finish this on time, you know. So I kind of like retaught myself the controls like on my own, which uh, was not probably not a good idea. If you recall me skipping the first four minutes of Severed, meaning that I didn't know what triggered the the Severed thing happening yeah, all yeah. the way through the game. When you start a game, you should start it from the beginning. This is a no-clip <laughs> life lesson. But, uh, so, I was fairly experimental in the first few chapters I played, but yeah, it worked out. To be fair, the mechanics of this game are pretty obscured, even when they try and explain it to you. It takes a little bit of time to understand a lot of the text and points that are popping up on screen, how to shift between the lenses and what all the lenses do, partially because a lot of the symbols on those things aren't in English. Right. Well, that may be true, but like, I, I think most of the things that they attempt to actually tutorialize, which they give you a clear indication of by putting the word tutorial on screen every time that anything is being tutorialized. Um, even, like, with... The, I think they do a fine job of, of conveying those mechanics, like the necessary ones. Mm -hmm. However, I also think that the game's combat starts to stop working as well once you, like, get, have a full understanding of it. Um, which I think is part of the reason why they put the score, like the arcade mode score, in the game. But also, your first run-through of the game, I think, the less, like, the worse you are at it, the better the game is. Which is kind of a weird thing to have happen, especially in a game with a score in it. But uh, it that's just sort of how it worked out. By the end of it, I felt like I was not being challenged by the game. I was just sort of, like, pressing buttons in a set order every time, and there were only a few things that really gave me any, any issue. Could you go into more detail on why you think the score and the measures of your score are so omnipresent through the game? Because that's, like, my one huge lingering question about the visual design of this game, which I think is fine to good otherwise. So you think... This is this is another thing that we'll probably get into as like a, a whole thing, but I, I think the visuals in this game are actually super good until they aren't, and that has a lot to do with the Wii U and has a lot to do with how much seems to have slipped under the radar when they were like putting this game out. Um, but the score thing just seems like off to me. Like, it's a very Capcom-type thing to do. Yes. Where it's, like, even, like, with a grade score and everything. And I, I feel like this game, and all games, ever, would be better if they took a little bit of a, a page out of Resident Evil 4's book. Which does have the same level splits. Like, it actually, you know, you play a discrete level and then get a card at the end mm -hmm. but the card just tells you the time that you spent playing the number of times you died and the number of times that you saved uh in fatal frame it's like a full score breakdown like this is how many of these that you got how many items you had and then like documents collected there's like a whole shit thing and then it gives you a grade which makes you like oh i want to go back and play that level again and get better at it but you don't 
Like, you don't want to do that in a horror game. Like, I've never finished a level in a horror game and been like, I want to go slog through that ghost-infested area one more time. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a horror game. It's Roll a... it back! <laughs> yeah. You bring up Resident Evil uh, 4. As and, I always do. As you always do. But uh, It's appropriate this time. It reminds me of what I said on the Bayonetta cast, where I feel like this game belongs in with those, where I feel like... The visuals are very heavily inspired by Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like the characters are modeled in a similar kind of style, and it's textured in a similar kind of way. And it almost seems like it's just kind of it, like it's that's that bleh, that that is very intentional. Because and uh, I feel like it might even lift the score, and like they want you to play the game over and over again, like it's uh, like, it's like it's Bayonetta, right? It's the score element in a game is there if the game's mechanics like call call for you to make some kind of self improvement, and Fatal Frames kind of just don't, Mm-mm. and I, like and this is uh, our all of our first Fatal Frame game I believe yes uh, yeah. Is the fifth one, and I'm sure a lot of people are kind of, you know, crying afoul that this is the first one that we chose to do as it's gotten kind of a bad rap. Uh, I don't know about these guys, but, like, I actually found myself really enjoying this game and will probably try and seek out the other ones, even though they're, like, PlayStation 2 games, kind of hard to find. Um, but, like, a, the, the mechanics, at least in this variation of the game, are to the point where once you have a handle on it, like... I was getting an S rank on pretty much every chapter, mm-hmm. uh, a smattering of S pluses, and then, like, I don't know, two or three A's over the course of the whole game. Yeah, it's like, the over, like, the first, like, three, maybe, uh, episodes, your score will improve, and then you'll just, like, get A's to S's. Or above all yeah, the way the, across. the rest of the way. So the score thing just seems kind of unnecessary on that. Even if this game did have a mechanic set that had the kind of like depth and fidelity where you were constantly improving over the entire experience, it would still be weird and jarring to me that a game that's very clearly trying to be a horror experience, like literally every other part of the game that is that score is trying to scare you or creep you out in some way, successful or otherwise. Like, I, I'm not playing this game. The appeal of this game is not self-improvement. I don't want to end a level of Fatal Frame and go like, yeah, I did awesome that time. <laughs> like, high five. I've got it so much better. That's like, what horror experience wants to end like that? Maybe Resident Evil 4 wants to end like that. Yeah, because they'll put you up against like a boss fight or yeah, something. And that's where that's, that comes from. It's an action horror game. It's trying right. to like be a part of that sort of pulpy genre at the same time and successful at that. But Jesus, this is like Japanese style horror. This is supposed to be like, you know, really cognitive and messing with your head all the time. I don't want to be excited or happy about anything when I'm walking through, like, dingy rain tunnels. I don't know about the other games in the series, but, like... Or it could be that, like, the mechanical aspects of it are, like, a big draw to some people. Or it could be, like, a cultural thing. Yeah, both things are totally possible. I've I've read my fair share, at this point, of people wondering, like, what are the optimal routes to get S-pluses... In different levels. And I, I will acknowledge there's, like, there's a level of satisfaction where you, like, 
line up two enemies and like blast and mm-hmm. get like just see a million text prompts like spill down the screen overkill and all that shit like it would be a good inclusion that like you unlock after you beat it like, like a score like, attack yeah mode. like there's something that like if you want to play it again it increases the replayability because now you can play the levels over and over and like get a high score and whatever right I mean, it does, when you finish the game, you do unlock Nightmare Mode, which, that seems like, to that point, this game has uh, an, a hard difficulty, Nightmare Mode, nine different endings, or I guess, like, two endings per character, meaning that you it necessitates at least two playthroughs to get all of the endings, uh, and a, like, C through S+, plus grading curve like if they needed more reasons to make this game replayable like i can't even imagine there's just so much Mm -hmm. like already there just saying like hey why don't you replay this level it's something i've never done you know what's not there to signal that any kind of like moment to moment variability in what you actually do and the kind of challenges that occur to you in the game like Every single one of these ghosts seems to pop up in roughly the same fashion, present a, like, medium to non-existent threat to you, and you fight it off in the same way, even if you're terrible mechanically at the game. Because, you know, like you said, as you go on, you begin to understand how to do things that are progressively more optimal, like conserving film, getting more literal fail frames, things like that. Right. But... At no point, even if you're complete garbage at it, the amount of like health potion pause menu safety net that you have at any given po- any given time just completely negates any tension. As soon as you realize that you can do that and that you can pause whenever you want. Sidebar: uh, it, This may go down in history as one of my least favorite uh, trends in any game that's trying to create tension, and it's a thing that I'm I'm glad seems to be slowly dying. You mean being able to pause the game to heal? Being able to pause, yeah, pausing the game at any time to heal. Yeah, right. that's uh, well, you can't pause when you have the camera out. Right. You choose when the camera's out. Yeah, but it's like, you can't, like, if you have the camera up and you get attacked, you, you could die. You could, might not be able to put the camera down <laughs> pause in time. Yeah. But it, it's basically, you can pause anytime you want and heal. Right. But yeah, I said that I brought this up on the Breath of the Wild podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, we've pausing the game to times. heal just needs to be a thing that goes away forever. We talked about it on Skyrim as well. It's like, anytime that you can just sort of, like, Stop the game, eat a thousand. We talked about Bioshock. Yeah. How he just has like would just have like a stash of chips, mm-hmm. and that would ruin the game. That kind of a thing, like it, le- yeah, it legitimately does just ruin the game uh, when there's a situation where you find yourself in a dire circumstance, and then suddenly, oh no, I'm actually at full health and more. <laughs> like I'm even better than I was before. There are items in the game called mirror stones that I guess allow you to come back to life after you die. And I felt like I wasn't toting around any fewer than three of those at any given time. Yeah. Like, it, it seems... I'm sure a lot of this is alleviated on Nightmare. Right. But I also don't think that the challenge is really the thing that, that makes this game good or makes this game effective. Um, I think there was, like, a decision that was made to make that the case. Um but in like at the same time, like 
the game is, is easy. In order to make resource management a compelling part of a horror game, your resources have to be super, super constrained. RE4 let up on this a little bit with the case system, but still had a system in place that constrained you. And but the first Resident Evil did this the best in that you were just hyper-constrained about the number of items that you could bring with you at any time. Right. The Yeah, the fact that that actually had an inventory limit. I mean, there are limits. You can't have 99. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, having, like, not having the infinite amount of the weakest film right, yeah. could have been the thing where you have to, like, manage how much film you have at all times could have been cool. They really should have just made the weakest film weaker because... Yeah, because I basically just used it the whole game right because like on one of the early missions i ran out of film on the boss and because i skipped the tutorial i didn't know how to switch film right easily <laughs> uh so i was just like well i'm just going to just always use the infinite film and never have to worry about it and, and then, then i'll switch to the good film when in time but yeah. it never happens yeah when i when i got to the boss yeah. but then i would always like just not do that yeah, did, did anybody here ever <laughs> use double lot film uh no yeah, I, I've had, like, a maximum of, of three on me occasionally, and just never felt the need to pull it out. Yeah. Because, like, even just switching to, like, 90, what is, like, your your basic, like, best film, mm-hmm. was still just good enough. Yeah, I might have used it on the final boss, but I don't remember. Like, think about that behavior mechanically in the context of a horror film like at that point the mechanics have forced you into the kind of character who's looking through their sack full of supplies just like nah i don't need this i'll just get this instead it'll be fine that's uh, in the context of a horror film in the context of horror anything there are tons of things that get cut uh from like being considered like you've never seen anyone in a horror i'm not gonna say that because obviously there's gonna be some example (laughs) of somebody being like oh it's so late i'm like exhausted i need to sleep (laughs) maybe the slasher will stop chasing me for a little bit they just cut out the parts that are boring and shitty and in the case of this game i feel like they didn't feel as though the resource management was the source of the tension the source of the tension was mostly like the atmosphere that you're immersed in, the story of the game, and the uh, the threat of enemies, and, and bending over to pick things up, and bending over <laughs> to pick things up, and I think that the th- while the threat of enemies thing is just a total failure, yeah, I'm not super upset about it because as I've talked about pretty much any time we've talked about a horror game, there's a kind of a difficult balance between like. How like you want the game to be like punishing to generate tension, but not so hard that people won't push through, because you have uh, negative emotions building on top of negative emotions mm-hmm. in a horror game, and so you want to balance the ones that are fun and the ones that are irritating <laughs> to make sure that like what you're left with is net positive. Yeah, uh, and this game really toned down on the difficulty to make it basically a breeze to walk through. And yet, more so than any other horror game that we've played for the podcast, at least, uh, I have not been more afraid during sequences in most other horror games than I was in this one, even though I knew there was basically no threat of death. Really? I assume that was all like pre-combat and environmental circumstances for you? Only in combat. Really? Because the, com- the, the genius of this game is the gamepad gimmick. 
of the camera thing, where at its best is like a totally diegetic camera that you hold and spin around the room and go like, ooh, there's a ghost on my left. (laughs) And so anytime that I was able to look at a guy, bring the gamepad in front of me like I would if it was an actual camera, which I consciously tried to do as much as I could, Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm. Go into camera mode and then start swinging the camera like in a uh, like a two two hundred and seventy degree maximum. I'm gonna say I don't think I ever like got up and turned around. <laughs> uh, but what if the ghost was behind you, Chad? I used the the joystick. I wasn't wasn't I was not not lazy enough to like get up and look at the <laughs> ghost. <laughs> not to mention the gamepad's battery life is like fifty minutes, uh, so it had to be plugged in a lot of the time. But like then actually because the the fact that it's like right in front of you and you're like actively doing stuff to try and take care of it that's like a heart pounding cool thing and i would play a million games like this just for that experience so would you say that you really liked the motion control in this game chan 100 percent best motion controls since platoon that like just baffles me <laughs> because I feel like this game, like, exacerbates all the things you hate about motion controls. That's just not true, but I'll, like, I'll, I'll, I'll accept the argument. They want you to play the game by, like, holding the controller up in front of your face. Right. And I remember when we were playing Trauma Center that you didn't want to, like, lift the Wii remote up to point at the television. Well, that's a Like, different... you seem like you hate, like, lifting the thing to activate the motion controls, so you think it's stupid and you hate motion controls on that fundamental of a level. The fundamental level that I don't like motion controls on is very heavily, uh, basically, like, Wii motion controls. The thing that I don't like about motion controls, particularly in in the Wii U, and I always go to the Mario Galaxy example because it's the one I have the most, like, experience with, is I don't like doing a thing with motion controls to represent something on screen that has, that is, like, not, this doesn't in any way reflect it. So when you waggle the, the Wii remote to make Mario do a spin jump, it's just, like, another button. Like, there right. could have been a button that just made him do that, and it's an unnecessary, like, thing. Right. The reason this game works is because the motion controls are... Like, this is as close to one-to-one as it gets because it's not trying to emulate it on the screen. It's just showing you, when you turn, the literal thing you're looking at also turns. <laughs> right. So there isn't, a di- there isn't any sort of disconnect. Yeah, but my other problem with it, that was more of a jokey uh, uh, yeah, I got point. Uh, Motion controls still suck. But uh, <laughs> if soon as you turn, like, more than, like, 45 degrees, it immediately becomes unsynced with the television... Okay, I don't look at the TV. Uh, see, like, I looked back and forth between the TV and the gamepad because there's valuable information on both. And I think they intend you to play it that way. I would agree, but, but I um, didn't. And it just, I think it just doesn't work very well. Like, it, it's it's almost there. But it, <laughs> it, it wants you to turn, like, all the way to your left to get the ghost over there. But then when you bring it back to the center, like the ca- and you're now like over, like looking in the wrong place because it got desynced. Because when you turn it away from the TV, it like loses the calibration. So it just doesn't work on that level, and it, I just ended up 
immediately just putting it in my lap and like controlling it very slight like it was Splatoon and it worked like a million times better that way. I mean, I almost wouldn't have played the main game on the uh, on the TV. And really the thing that made me do is because I liked having the map on the bottom screen, but then I'm just looking at the bottom screen anyway. So like I played this game was probably like 75% me looking at the gamepad, 25% me looking at the screen. Mm. It was a DS game. I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> like it just you could have just handed me a DS and I would have been like, "Oops, I've been playing a yeah. DS the whole See, time." I was basically the exact opposite while playing whereas I was only looking at the gamepad to take pictures. Right. And looking at the TV the whole rest of the time. So where did you fall on that? JJ? I am far closer to Chad's end. I, 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 I like it in concept. Like, I wish I was able to enjoy it in the way Chad did, but, like, <laughs> it just did not work for me. In terms of actual, like, fidelity of controls, the thing where the game fell short for me was less in the, the one-to-one motion of treating the game like a camera, which I agree with Chad is, like, a fantastic implementation of motion controls like it is the promise of playing that part of this game is the reason we're doing this game at all because it's such a cool promise to try and deliver on uh and i was so focused on the gamepad once actual combat was initiated even though i also kind of lazy like held it down on my lap i still felt like i was into it doing the little steer wheel steering wheel turns uh it it the, the, the combat wasn't tense for reasons I already described, but it was something where I felt like the control was implemented well and I wasn't thinking about, like, motion controls. I wasn't thinking about waggling in a certain way. I wasn't fighting anything, and I appreciated that. But where I ended up having control issues with this game was actually with controlling your avatar in the overworld. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I no, no one will disagree with yeah. that. Before we move on to that, because that's a whole issue yeah. in and of itself... I think what it was for what could have fixed it for me is if, like, the Im- useful information that was only on the TV for seemingly no reason was just, was on, just the on the gamepad. Like, if the. When you had the camera up and you're looking at the gamepad, it's, like, zoomed in. Yeah. Like, it, in uh, comparison to what the TV shows. So if they had not done that, and it was like the same perspective as what's on the TV, and the dodge prompt appeared on the gamepad, right? I think it would have worked for me. But like, I kept on like needing to like look up at the TV to do- like that. Just I, I, think I couldn't the- like do the separation where you guys were just like on the gamepad. My, all my chips are on the gamepad. Like I couldn't do that. Well, they they ideally wanted it to work the way that you had, but I think that the but it better doesn't work the way. better compromise I think would have been to put the yes, definitely put the dodge prompt on the gamepad. Agreed. But also just shave off the periphery on the TV as well. Like just make it so that you don't oh, so have a benefit. This, okay, to looking at the TV. Yeah, because yeah. It, it it does add to the like immersion or like the uh, the realism of it to, to have the limited yeah like the viewfinder actual 
uh, like scope of vision. Yeah, it's one of the mechanical things that I thought worked with the horror tone is forcing your view to be limited, and you, they already can represent it as you're limiting your view by pressing the camera button instead of trying to like weirdly split the difference by having it so you have to, to limit your view. You both have to press the camera button and be looking at the camera. Right. Like you already have that choice, that sort of like little terrifying moment when you it could be when you're holding down and looking at the camera, you can't know if anything is coming up on you and that's scary too and that could work yep it sort of reminds me uh of of a lot of the problems that star fox zero did way way shittier than this game yeah i had like well yeah we'll... i guess i hadn't thought about that another <laughs> game that wants you to look at the tv and, and the at the game bed. yeah this is actually something that i uh i did think about star fox zero and it relates to the next thing which was Despite how bad the the controls are in terms of getting around in the world normally, uh, which we'll expand upon, I was able to, like, manage it and, like, understand the walk around and take pictures two modes of this game so much faster than I was able to, like... Because I was never, I never figured out how Star Fox Zero was supposed to work. <laughs> like I just kept fucking up and dying in Star Fox Zero, and this game, like it, like literally some of the worst walking I've ever seen in a AAA game. Still, way easier than Star Fox Zero <laughs> to do anything. <laughs> Dude, this game, in terms of its overworld walking mechanics, is one of the few times. And, 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 Correct me if you think this is an exaggeration. I remember having an easier time with uh, Resident Evil 1's tank controls than well, with this game. Uh, that's an over-exaggeration. I disagree, uh, but I think we had the same disagreement when talking about tank controls. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, th- I never played a game with tank controls as a kid, so like they're just awful to me. Like I, I cannot stand them. I They're game ruining for me like if a game has them i won't play it right but, but over and above like <laughs> but anyway ignorance of the mechanics the reason why i felt like it was so hard for me to try and do that navigation it's one of those things where it just feels like a tuning issue which makes it super hard to describe from an outside perspective like what's going wrong here like it feels like you know, there's there's always that button combination in Resident Evil games where you can like auto flip behind you and yeah. like, change your camera at a moment's notice. It feels like when I, I kept trying to do it. Yeah, and it, it kept doing like it like a, a random direction. Like mm. I could I could never grasp how to change my the, the direction I was facing, kind of at all. The I think what the problem is is that the camera control is, like, always, like, loosely tied to your movement as well. Yeah. Like, if you were to just rotate the camera, it would make your character turn around, Mm -hmm. too. So, like, there will be times where if you try to back up and move the camera at the same time, like, it just totally chits itself. Yeah, there's no (laughs) idea where it totally, like, messes up what's happening. Yeah, so the way that this (laughs) this game's movement mechanics work is that when when you hold down on the analog stick in this game, your character's supposed to turn around and sometimes just doesn't because I think it requires and this is me I'm now spitballing because I didn't even think that this might have been a problem before but like I think maybe it's if you're not holding like perfectly down on the control stick you'll just start to turn in the direction that you're holding (laughs) so and yeah like you said your camera controls move your characters like up or 
torso, which you can see is like the, yeah. the, the, the flashlight moves. Yeah. So you end up in this fucking horrible, like, it's like if Quop was somehow more <laughs> of a functioning human being than it actually is. It's like you have these instincts, or at least I would imagine most people do, uh, from playing games all these years where, like, your right thumb's always on the analog stick if you're not pushing buttons. Right. So, like, you don't even, like, really realize that that's the problem because, like, you're trying to move <laughs> and, like, you're trying to move the camera, too, and you're not even, like, thinking about how it's like. Yeah, you want it to be independent and the yeah. game forces you to not be independent. You're like, totally right, Chad. This game is, like, co-op for your core. Like, it's yeah. just... It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it has a it has a problem with that. Yeah. And it... it the quick turn is supposed to be down and L. You press down and L and the character and the camera reverse. And it works like, I would say it worked for me like 80% of the time, but that's still too low of a number for right. that crucial of a mechanic. Uh, yeah, and it's also like the movement's too slow. Movement's super well. slow. I, I'm also... And like uh, the animations aren't that great. They're a little stiff. The anima- I don't think it's the anim... Okay. There's some very stiff animations in yes. this game. Yes, there are. Uh, but like the run animation's really awkward. Yeah, it depend and like it changes from character to character how awkward it is. Uh, but like, <laughs> I think that there's a lot of good animation in this game. Yeah, here and there. But like, this is what I mean when I say that the game looks really good until it doesn't. Yeah, it's there's a lack of polish. Yeah, there's a weird. Situation like because you'll because yeah like the environments look nice mm-hmm. and then like a shitty looking ghost hand comes out of nowhere yeah like what's and, up like, with those yeah they real it's bad it's like they're like the low res like they f- forgot to finish modeling it yeah. <laughs> version they, there's not even that much of a like they weren't no one was asking for like detailed ghosts because it's like a it's like the hand in the toilet in Majora's Mask. Like, yeah. it's, like, cartoony, and, like, it's got, like, weird angles and, like, squared-off fingers and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, it just... Why couldn't it look like a realistic arm? Like, that would fit this game way better. <laughs> they could have taken... In fact, this may be what they did, but they could have taken an arm from one of the ghosts that was already in the game. Yeah. Already or a ghost even arm. one of the main characters. Make it Ren's arm. Yeah. <laughs> and just stick it there, and then just have it... Yeah, come have out. it come out. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> like, what happened? Who modeled the hand separately and was like, "This is better." Yes, <laughs> creepy, spooky ghost hand. I know we're talking about the weird, uh, the 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 grabbing shit mechanic though. Ah, it's, yes. it's super important. Yeah, I know it's very important. I I really want to point out that I think a lot of these graphical issues, a lot of the weird mechanic stuff, a lot of the cap communists is all part of, like, a big bow that's tied around this game that makes me feel like this game is the successor to, like, the B-grade games of the PS2 era. Like, it feels like the same quality of production. And as part of the reason why it feels so weird to us now, because we're, like, a decade since that's been, like, a widely economically viable thing to do in the game space. Sure. Like, there's just not a lot of, like kind of middle budget games around anymore like double a games yeah, yeah. Well, I, call it <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i i get what you're saying i feel like it isn't necessarily that because i mean it, that's the pedigree that this game comes from obviously the fatal frame games started back on the playstation yep and uh and really saw a lot of success with fatal frame 2 and then uh this is the fifth one yeah 
I don't know anyone who knows that there are two other Fatal Frame games. Like, I don't know a single person who's, like, That's played Fatal Frames 3 and 4. Yeah. Maybe they were a Japan-only thing. Impossible. This is research we probably should have done, as yeah. podcast says. But... Let's say we'll do it on the break, and then we'll forget. Good. Good. It's tradition. Nailed it. Uh, <laughs> so it is, it is weird, but you can tell how much effort was actually put into some of the, like... The locations. Yes. So much effort, in fact, that they felt like they needed to revisit them, like, over and over again. See, I don't think it's... I don't know if you were just making a joke. Mostly, but uh, it is kind of a problem. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a problem. It just... My, my big point that I kind of wanted to hold off on until the end, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, fuck you, Andy. Um, point. The end of this the game, episode or the end of yeah, this Yeah, like, discussion. Final Thoughts thing, oh, but okay, whatever. We it, can... doesn't, it doesn't matter at all. All right. Um... Is that this game feels rushed, or like it is lacking polish, or they didn't have as much time as they thought. Right. They had to meet the Halloween deadline, because this came out around Halloween, or whatever. In the U.S., it came out in December in uh, yeah. in Japan. So Maybe I that's when Halloween yeah. is there, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, there's just like, there's this lack of polish, and it really stands out, because it seems like this game had like so much potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and and yeah, and I don't begrudge it necessarily reusing. Like if we got on Bayonetta for reusing levels, all you do in Bayonetta is like punch guys. In this game, like you actually have to traverse these areas over and over again, mm-hmm. and it, it's it, it's weird. Like it's okay as far as like the plot goes, mm-hmm. but the problem comes when you as the player have this, like, you feel more comfortable and you have this familiarity with the area Mm -hmm. that the character doesn't have because they've never been there, but you were totally just there minutes ago. (laughs) Yeah. And you're just like, oh, well, what, it's not, what stale hell is this? It's the same hell again. (laughs) Not fresh (laughs) in any way. (laughs) Right. Like, uh, the best parts of the game, like, once I got into the meat of it, were when new areas were introduced. Yeah, like easily. like the highway, or not the highway, but like the road for the tunnel that's only used like once. Yeah, it's used as far as I remember. It's used one time, and it's still like my favorite yeah. part of the game. Yeah, and like in like the first time, like they go to that little lake with all like the shrine stuff in it, and like when you get to the beach for the first time, it's like oh, cool new area. Yeah. You shouldn't be that excited that there are new areas. <laughs> well, you're probably correct about that. It does, like, it makes getting to those new areas feel real good. It does. So, like, that was a positive experience that I had because of it. The negative experiences were a lot of running from the same starting point from the fucking cable car. By the way, shout-outs to the guy who keeps putting film in the the ticket window in the same <laughs> oh, place. Yeah. Every, he's like, oh, it's they took right the film. There. I'll put some new film out. <laughs> it's like he's locking My job's up at done. the end of the day. He, like, puts the film there. <laughs> so big ups. Gives it a pat. <laughs> big ups to that dude. But, like, leaving the cable car station. Cable car station was cool the first time, too. Right, but not cool the subsequent 37. <laughs> right. It's just, I don't know. I, I felt like they could have dropped you in in levels more often than they did. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did really like 
was the way they reused the house. Mm, yeah. Like, I felt like returning to the house each time was interesting. That was a big... That, I liked becoming familiar with that area. Yeah, that was the one exception, I think. is And especially since the, like, Ren defends the place missions yeah. were all fairly well done. That was actually, like, a difference in kind in, yeah. like, how the levels were set up. Yeah. For JJ, who did not get to that part... Oh, damn it, you revealed <laughs> myself on the cast. <laughs> I got you. Um, there's a part where all the women in the house are just, like, totally kind of, like, zombified... Not zombified. I don't know how to describe this. Comatose? Comatose. Or com- they're all they're, comatose. They're, they're, and stop, like, stop. They're all <laughs> coma-ghost. They're all coma-ghost. There we go. And they're, like, rambling about, like, weird, like, culty, like, ghost things. And Ren is, like, just monitoring the security cameras, and you have to, like, watch them for... And they, like, rotate on the timer... And you have to, like, watch for ghosts to come into the house, and then you have to go investigate. And it's it's actually really well done. And some of, like, awesome. the more, like, legitimately tense moments are when, like, you see a ghost, like, oh, just walk out of view. And you're like, oh, what, what area was that? And what's the next one it's going to show up on? Uh, yep. <laughs> those were those were good, good moments. Unfortunately, they do not predate Five Nights at Freddy's. That's oh, what I'm just yeah. looking up. <laughs> They're close enough in release, though, that it seems unlikely that it was somehow inspired. Oh, no, it doesn't feel that way. No, yeah. Because you can actually do shit. Right, yeah, you can get up and leave the room and right. go find the ghosts. Kill them. Yeah, it's like, ghost, it's like a ghost-busting tower defense, but with the same third-person And And mechanics. sometimes the ghosts can, like, fuck with the camera and make it uh, ghost static yeah. which is cool. Uh, the second one has a lot of like the almost all of the the jump scares that exist in this game exist in the second home defense level. Yeah, where you'll like the camera cuts to a new thing and there's just like a spooky ghost face. Yeah, and you're like, whoa, that didn't happen a whole lot in the game. No, yeah. And this is something that I feel like you guys might be more familiar with because while I do have a, sort of an appreciation for horror, I don't generally consume horror media a whole lot in my life uh i i've seen like very scant few of like this sort of style of horror media mm-hmm. so i don't have a firm understanding on what makes it like what makes psychological horror of this type really work in contrast to traditional horror because the front of my brain when i was going through this game made me think like this game needs uh some some kind of equivalent of a jump scare. Not literally a jump scare, but just something to either cause and force tension because I never felt like I was going to die in combat. Or if it couldn't force tension in the mechanics, something to literally just startle me at least. And it never had the first because of mechanical reasons, and it never had the second because it seemed like the game was going for a more subtle, like slow, creeping horror tone. But that tone never really got to me, and I don't quite understand why, because it's a kind of horror that I think I appreciate most out of all horror, but, like, was it just the numbers for me? I'm trying to understand my own feelings on this. I mean, this this is very J-horror, and not very Western horror. It is a Western horror that has, or it it is a a Japanese horror that has some elements from other, uh, like, it has a few tropes out of other things, but not really a whole lot. You can tell how much 
of the Japanese culture they sort of want to contain in this game because of how often they make references to it. Mm-hmm. But the the core thing is that it isn't necessarily psychological horror um, as so much as it is that J-horror, which is kind of a different, creepier uh, sort of vibe. The thing that this game is going for isn't like disturbing or like mind-alteringly like oh, I didn't see that coming. It's just supposed to kind of be like, it's uh, it's unsettling, and it's very, very sad, yeah. is what they're going for. There's a lot of, like, victim of tragic circumstances kind of yeah. Which, thing in J-horror. Yeah, yeah, that is, it's a really common theme. And as I was talking to you about, like, not too long ago, like, just a, a like, couple hours when you first got back, this game also draws from... Uh, like it has a plot element that's straight out of Martyrs, which is a, a French film uh, where people are brought to the brink of death in order to experience some kind of enlightenment, and that theme is in here as well. Uh, you could also argue that it's in 2017's upcoming Flatliners, but Jerry's still <laughs> out on if that even is gonna. It's not gonna be good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, one second movie review uh, for that one. One second movie review of a movie of, that does not have a movie. A movie. <laughs> Only movie yeah. reviews on our French movie discussion podcast. Mm, Chad. Is this game uh, rated like T for teen or like f- fuck you 18 and up or like what is this game rated? <laughs> it's an M rated game. Okay. Oh, and the reason that it didn't scare you, <laughs> before we get into that, yeah, the reason it didn't scare you is purely mechanical. Because, like, I feel as though when you take horror and you layer mechanics over top of it, the mechanics start to sort of, like, obfuscate what makes the horror frightening, because now you have agency. Yes. And then this game made those mechanics a part a thing that you operate in order to play a super easy game. Yeah. So I feel like you might be scared on Nightmare, on, like, the hardest difficulty, uh, and otherwise probably wouldn't be because you're too capable of abstracting yourself (laughs) out from it. I think, like, what you want from it is if they had a way to make the ghosts stealthier, but it still be fair, so that, like, ghosts could pop up on you without you noticing to them, like, right there. You need to be able to to triple the sensitivity, basically. Yeah. In order for that to To function. Yeah. Yeah. And And then all of a sudden you're just playing, like, Fatal Frame Revengeance. Right. (laughs) You do, like, (laughs) backflips. Like, with a multi-shot, Ren's just doing a backflip. Yeah. I like this. I don't feel guilty for feeling like I really engaged with this game on too much of a mechanical level, considering how much, like, mechanics-first abstraction the game throws at you. Mm-hmm. How many freaking like, off-screen arrows they are so that you can make sure you're pointing at the right directions, so you know where the ghosts are at all times, even when the camera's yeah. up. And how many points uh, flash on the screen when you're doing a super awesome job. Yeah. Just a minor, just a one-sentence thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, those arrows are just not good. No. They're no. bad arrows. Like, bad they don't arrows. even work in the way that they're supposed to. Terrible. Anyway, go on. I wasn't saying anything. Uh, go on, Andy. What were you I, saying? No, I meant the ghost behind you. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, no. Do we want to take a break? Yeah, I think we do. What do you think, ghost? Whoa.
So we'll be back to the podcast. Um, one thing that we mentioned in the first half and then just kind of never came back to, because uh, we went a little bit long, uh, was that weird hand-grabbing mechanic. And I feel like it's kind of important to bring up. Like, more important comparatively to the other less innovative things that this game did. I remember I once, when just talking about horror movies generally... Uh, brought up that I thought that my favorite simple innovation in a, in horror film was just sticking a camera on an oscillating fan in uh, Paranormal Activity 3 because of, like, the added tension of, like, knowing you have to wait for the, the screen to pan back over to what you want to see. Uh, this had the potential... To be that in horror games. The added, like, just grabbing a thing, adding tension to that, is such a good idea. But it was executed in, like, the worst imaginable (laughs) way. Uh, I feel like in order for me to agree with you, you're going to have to explain a version of that mechanic that doesn't suck. Can I? Because I I can't imagine it. I can. I'm going to say go go JJ on this. And a version of the mechanic with actual variability where you can't predict the success rate in a mechanic in any meaningful way unlike this game where you can predict success most of the time like exactly enough of the time that you don't care and it's just annoying something hits you instead of otherwise right and a version of the mechanic where something can go wrong different ways each time imagine if like but you'd still have the problem of every time you went to pick something up it would have to be like like a slow, like a slow. But imagine like... if the fuckery was so continuous that when it actually was going through the slow process, hitting the item was actually a relief intention instead of an annoyance that it took that long for you to get the item. Or worse, See, that I, you opened a drawer and there was I nothing feel like, there. I just feel like that balance would be way too hard to strike. Like where it happens infrequently enough mm-hmm. that you're like always wondering if it's gonna happen. And it happens frequently enough that you aren't annoyed that you have to wait. Well, I think that this is tied into a separate mechanic that I'll talk about briefly when we finish this discussion. But either way, I I, I do sort of agree with you. I also feel like there are lots of things that you can do in a horror game that are not optimal in most games and have them still work. And I think picking up items slowly is one of them. And I think that doing this correctly, the other added thing that should be on your list of making this good are that it has to present, like, an actually real threat. Yes. As opposed to literally nothing in this. Yeah. I I agree all the things you said would make it better. I still think it would be annoying to have to, like, pick things up slowly enough all the time. What needed to happen was there needed to be fewer items. With the same percentage chance of you uh, getting the, the getting grabbed, uh, if there were fewer items, one, it means that you weren't walking around with as many health potions as you ever could possibly need. Right. And two, they, they, they can just get rid of that thing when picking up lore pamphlets. Because yeah. actually, in this game... Strikes an impossible, uh, it, it strikes against impossible odds. I actually like the lore pamphlets, like, I enjoyed reading those for the most That's part. It's horror, 
Yeah, like it ended up, it added to it because there wasn't, it wasn't really pulling me out of action. It was just like a breathing room time. And I appreciated that, thought that was good. But we didn't need to slow grab it right. from like the desk. We're nothing, it's a desk. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think there could totally be a good version of this. And it would it would be a lot of things needed to be changed. Also, the hand should look like good and not like a garbage pile. <laughs> but that's I think that's assumed. <laughs> Always assume the hand's good, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if we're done with that, because I thought it could have been so good, totally was so bad. Uh, I think it is time. I think the likelihood that you're going to get grabbed is tied with the wetness mechanic. Which, as far as I could tell, I couldn't tell. Yeah, I learned this from watching a review Mm -hmm. of the game. That, like, your character model has, like, a I'm all wet now, like, version of its model where the clothes are wet and clingy. Notice that. Uh, And that affects, I think, both how many ghosts appear and how aggressive they are. Uh, so you should just be wet all the time. Or not. It, well, you you're trying to avoid ghosts. I meant to make the game like a fun, enjoyable it, time to play. Well, <laughs> the combat would have to be less tedious. I mean, I like the combat. Either way, the important <laughs> thing is it does affect the the combat, which yes. is weird because I just couldn't tell. Oh, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where you have to play it. You have to play level twice to go for a better score, uh, in order to even know that there was a difference when you were wet and when you weren't. I mean, technically that's true, but alternatively, they they could have put cues in. They could put, could have put visual cues, like not in terms of just you being wet. That's obvious. I mean, like a visual cue in the difference in behavior of the world. They could have, for lack of a better term, made things spookier. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they they could have had the ghosts actually like animate and behave in like a different, more terrifying way when you're in this sort of like threatened state. In order for you to, to really notice a huge difference with wetness you would have had to ever be threatened at all like we talked about in the first half <laughs> so of course you don't notice the difference between not threatened and not threatened because why would you right then there's even there's like a little blurb that pops up at the beginning where it's like if you fill up your wetness gauge the ghosts are gonna be real real upset with you <laughs> and i was like i don't know what that means like is this Am I wading into ghost-infested waters? Like, I don't understand <laughs> where like where the danger is. And then I proceeded to, like, occasionally dry off and occasionally not and never really saw much of a difference. So, right. It's yeah. a really cool theme. I do love the motifs of the whole game, narratively and visually, of, like, being wet is, like, a horrifying experience. Yeah, I also like that just generally in horror movies, it's something that I, I brought up when I was talking about the 2013 Evil Dead remake, where they were like, anytime shit is bad, it's wet and gross. <laughs> and I think it works when that's kind of what you're going for. Yeah. I always appreciate strong theming, and this game definitely has that in spades. Yeah. It, it, when you're not reading a novelization of the game itself within the game, right? It's got it, there's there. Uh, you're always like in water or wading through water, or it's raining, or somebody's telling you about water, right? 
<laughs> While we're talking about sort of like niche mechanics, can I uh, have a soapbox for a second to complain about the existence of the ghost tracker button? Oh, like oh, the, the, the R? Yeah. The trace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why does this horror game have an entire mechanic centered around preventing you from getting lost? Uh, I think they were just concerned that it would take people forever to get through areas. It feels a little more appropriate in one of the early areas where it's like a more open forest location, like before you get to the doll shrine. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, it's fairly linear. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it's completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You go through the same areas tons of times after their initial introduction anyway, to such an extent that we, we noted that it started mitigating the horror because we could start memorizing the layout of the mountain. And on top of that, we now have, a, like, a guidance button. Yeah, it feels like something that should have been, like, an upgrade for, like, a, if you want to use For the camera, this, yeah. yeah. like, well, it because Because it has, like, a... Uh, there's like a whole thing in the plot that's built into it to the point where uh, it's such a a plot centric thing, uh, like tra- like the fi- following somebody's trace. Yeah. That I'm actually I have difficulty judging whether or not the mechanic came before or after. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if it's plot. in the older games or not, but right. yeah, it definitely it feels like it makes sense from like a story perspective that they would like be able to follow the trace of this person up the mountain to find them. Right? And I agree, but they could but have yeah, still... mechanically, it just doesn't yeah, translate. They, you could have still had a version of that theme that would work mechanically in a game like this. All you'd have to do is just take out player agency from making the traces appear. Yeah. Like, there, so that there was no longer a trace button, so that you instead had to pay attention when you're walking around and look and see traces that would pop up either randomly or the first time that you're in an area. Well, I'm personally a little bit glad that it was in there, because from what you guys would have seen a few hours ago, uh, I used it mostly as like a handbrake, where I would run, and when I would come to a turn, I would hit the button so that my character spun in the direction of where the thing where I was supposed to be going, and then I would continue running. Like I, that's most of what I used it for, unless I was actually lost, which happened uh, occasionally, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not the best at navigation, but you also have a map. Yep, you do have a map that frequently will show you when you find a key, like what what door it's for. <laughs> yeah, it's another weird decision. Yeah. It's very odd. Uh, they were super not confident with the player's ability to complete this game, so they gave them as many possible boons to get through it. This is such like a, a lame, self-identifies-as-gamer thing to say, but this game's normal mode felt like it was easy mode. Like right. It felt like it had the same kind of additional mechanics layered on top of each other to make sure absolutely that you got to the end of the narrative experience if you wanted to. Which makes me think, like, what is easy on this game even? Yeah, it's hard to imagine it being easier. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it could very well just be for people who don't want to... Like, they, they wanted to hear a ghost story basically <laughs> they wanted yeah. they wanted ghost photography ghost on snap yeah which is what it would be theoretically you would have some agency 
but for the most part, you're following a straight line and occasionally photographing ghosts. Like I could, I could totally point out people who would think that that was an enjoyable experience. Yeah. So I think that's what easy mode is for, but they probably should have called it like safari mode or something. Yeah. Baby mode. Yeah. <laughs> Baby mode. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty strong decision of their part to just put you in like the fucking Mako 1 or whatever the name of that stupid <laughs> oh, over... The, I think it's called the Zero 1. <laughs> it was the Zero 1. What, was... the car in Pokemon City? Yeah, yeah, a little like bubble wool. It does have a around. name. I'm actually ashamed I don't know that. You that seems like be. trivia that I would know. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it has something to do with Zero Gravity. Mm-hmm. I think, I swear to God, it's, it, it's it might zero be the one. Zero 1. That sounds familiar yeah. enough. Kind of a bad name, but what are you gonna yeah. do? It's probably where we don't, we aren't sure that it's the right name because it's so unbelievably generic that there's like no way we could ever confirm. Mm-hmm. Like it just sounds like something that we would make up. <laughs> uh, so, how much of this game's plot do you guys uh, did you guys like actually engage with? Um, I was interested in the plot in the atmosphere. But I really didn't like the delivery, like, that so much of it was in text. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) From the very beginning, too. It's kind of like a Metroid Prime thing for me, where, like, there's just so much optional text that, like, I feel like I maybe read, like, a third of the things that I picked up. Like, it was just so much that I stopped caring after a while. Yep. I read everything that I picked up, but uh, it was a pretty significant chunk of it, and there were certain... There were entries that just didn't feel like they were necessary. I felt like they were really rehashing the same kind of information. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure if they felt like they needed to give a reason for every character to know stuff. Because you, every one of you, like, every single character picks up a book at some point that says, like, Mount Hikami was, like, a big suicide spot. It's like... We've, estab- we've established this a dozen times. Right. Like, we do not need to go any further. Yeah, I wish that the game would have delivered its narrative in other ways. In cutscenes. Yeah, like, in, yeah, had a couple the cut more cutscenes. Because cutscenes were really good. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, even just had, like, more dialogue exchanges between characters. Or, you know, there could have been, like, a number of ways they could have, like, communicated stuff in a different way than just having you read it. Right. Just because it's in text doesn't mean that it's subtle. And this game seems to think that, like, taking the quiet moment to, like, pour over these old pages is is a subtle thing when it's not when it's given to you that many times in a row and with the same themes over and over again. Yeah, and the way that it treats the, the text arguments, like, people make fun of Bioshock for having, like, people just, like, leaving fucking, like, gramophones laying around mm-hmm. with audio logs on them. This is a way worse offender than that. Like, oh, yeah. it feels like the people wrote diaries. Like, every character ever wrote a diary and then and got was carrying lost it around with and them. was, like, leaving pages behind, like, breadcrumbs. <laughs> like, they're like, if I need to find my way back, I'll just go from entry yeah. four to one. <laughs> I even feel like audio logs would have been better for this game. Like, if you could have, like, just picked it up and, like, let it play while you, like, keep wiring around. Yeah, I agree completely. If that's just what those, like, what are they called, trace touches or whatever? Like, when you you kill a ghost and you touch it, it's a fatal glance. glance. The glances. They could have just made the glances trigger audio logs from the people who were dying. But occasionally, you get a fucking dope cutscene. You never got to see this because you were playing on my file. 
But, like, the first time you get any, like, new type of ghost with that, it plays a cutscene that gives you, like, insight into, like, how that person died. I went back and rewatched them all in the gallery before. So that's cool. It is cool. And they're all really well, like, they're done in this, like, grainy VHS style. Mm -hmm. And it, like, (laughs) this variation between each of them where it's either going to be, like, total grindhouse where, like, somebody's standing in the woods and, like, fucking, like, jams a railroad spike through their face, or it's, like, a really subtle, subdued, like, somebody just giving up on life and, like, falling off of a cliff or something. Yeah. And they do it so well that, uh, like, each one of those I thought was really good, Mm -hmm. and most of the cinematics in this game I thought were really good as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the fatal glances feel like a series of like good like short horror vignettes. Yep, yep. I think uh, we mentioned a couple of times how the animation in this game sometimes feels stiff. I think it is stiff generally, and I agree. But I think in the context of these horror scenes, that's actually might have been like them making the best of their budget, so to speak, historically speaking, because the stiffness of the animations makes the cutscenes of this game creepier in a way that I like. Uh, The thing that jumped out to me really quick was one of the earliest tutorials in which uh, you're playing as the girl running around with the girl who's teaching you how to be, like, a psychic investigator or whatever. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, and, like, ghosts attack you for the first time and you're, like, sitting down in the water... And she, with this, like, blank video game-ass expression, (laughs) just, like, walks over and gives you, like, a warm hug right after the attack without saying a single word. And that, like, actually got to me. Like, that that was a freaky moment, in part because of how little emotion the characters were conveying while doing an emotional thing. Right. And that got kept up in a lot of the ghost interactions in a way that I actually liked. It was a a cool upside to Bandit Animation. Because jerky animation is the way that you sell ghosts in, like, a way that is good. Like, a ghost just, like, walking around and shit. Not super frightening, but, like, a ghost doing, like, a weird motion, like, teleporting? Eh, pretty scary. Yeah. So, I think the... But, yes, the animation on the main... Your primary characters really could have used a bit of a... bit of an upgrade. Yeah. Do we have final thoughts? Or non-final thoughts? What about fatal thoughts? Do we have fatal thoughts? I'm cutting the rest of that. We're using that take. Do we have fatal thoughts? <laughs> I uh, am a little bit disappointed in this game. I, I thought the game thematically was ex- was close to exactly what I wanted it to be, but was mechanically a little bit too Capcom and a little bit too PS2 era, like, B-grade video game. I think it's important to stress that it was not Capcom that made this game. <laughs> I, I know what you mean, I know what you mean. <laughs> but yeah, it does take Capcom just, elements a lot. I love that comparison so much. Uh, like, I wanted this game to be more like modern indie games, where it's more like experimental and completely all in and with its themes, especially since it was willing to be the use the Wii U as a camera game in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the weirdness of only launching at an online platform. I, have, I think I'm going to have mixed feelings about this game for a very long time. And is the kind of game that I wish in like five to six years, some like real crazy modder is going to make like an updated version of for the Wii U in the same way that people did for like metroid 2 for the game boy like, mm-hmm. I, want, I want a fan remake of this game for the wii u a f f 
M O B W R. Yes. Yeah. That. Uh, my fatal thoughts are that have Halloween motherfuckers. Uh, <laughs> this game's got a lot of issues. Uh, like I said earlier, it is lacking a lot of polish and like several different areas um but despite all of that i did enjoy this game it might just be like my general liking of survival horror and things horror in general but uh uh there is a good game in there and it's just kind of a shame that it didn't come together better than it did but i did i mean i played it all the way through and i did enjoy my time with it and i feel like like the fact that it's on the wii u makes me like it more like, yeah. uh, I have this, like, uh, feeling about a couple of Wii U games. Like, one of them is, like, Xenoblade X. Like, it's just never not going to be novel to me that it's an open-world game on the Wii U. Like, it just, like, makes it seem cooler to me. And, like, this, like, weird, like... Like an underdog way. Yeah, like, this weird uh, third-person, like triple a horror game that's like a wii u exclusive like i'm it's just it just makes it more interesting to me yeah and that's uh like that that's sort of how i'm gonna parlay into what i thought about this is that like i feel super mixed on this and i feel like that's the only way to feel about this game i think there are gonna be very few people who like absolutely love this game and probably more people who really hate it but in either direction, it's a game that could could have been really good, but was marred by a whole lot of, of kind of weird baggage that we don't see a whole lot of these days. Um, and I think that the reason I enjoyed it so much was mostly just because it was one of the first, like, true to-its-roots survival horror games that I've played in a long-ass time. Uh, as much as I, you know, have been outspoken in saying that I prefer these, like, haunted house-style games that have been coming out recently that focus on literally just scaring the shit out of you and not so much on the actual mechanics, uh, I, mi- I sometimes miss this kind of shit. And barring uh, RE7 at the very beginning of this year, this is, like, the only traditional survival horror that I've played, so... Uh, that, uh, combined with the fact that it was, like, a cool gamepad gimmick, uh, made me really enjoy it. But I can totally understand absolutely hating this piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you! Good night! <laughs> Thank you for listening to this very spooky episode of No Clip. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about Epistory Typing Chronicles. Uh, which, if that sounds like complete inane bullshit to you, uh, don't worry, it's quite good. Uh, <laughs> I destroyed JJ. I'm sorry, we never said it aloud until now, so it's just, it sounds much worse now that we're saying it aloud. Uh... Until then, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can do so on noclippodcast.com. All of our contact information is there, as well as links to our Twitter, YouTube, etc., etc. Thank you for listening. And hot fuck, it's Halloween. (laughs) Yes. Ah, forgot to mention the weird ninja bonus missions. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I didn't get to those. Yeah.
those seem uh, weird and another Capcom esque thing that yeah, have it's like super weird. You play as like a what you would expect, like anime sexy ninja girl. Oh, you're it's. I didn't even guess it was gonna be a female. Yeah, yeah I thought girl. it was gonna be like a straight like no, man. No, no, imagine this game's version, like a like a Japanese, a young Japanese sexy ninja girl. I assume wearing like a skirt and not no, like all. She's black. actually like wearing a ninja e outfit at first. Uh, she uh, <laughs> at first <laughs> she shows up to that building uh, where you do the tutorial, where the um, the part that you mentioned, where yeah, yeah, the I don't uh, mentor about. is taking you through the house or the hotel. Yeah. You show up there and like you've been sent to like find one of these missing people. Uh, yeah, as a ninja. I don't know why. <laughs> And uh, you go in there, and you have this thing called the thread, which is like your version of the trace. It's like a weird purple thing where she like holds her arm up, and it shoots out, and it shows her what direction to go. Okay. But it alerts ghosts to your presence. Uh. So she gets attacked. You, you use it. She gets attacked by ghosts, and she can't do anything. And then she—that's like the end of the first. Her first chapter is really short. And then she goes, and she gets these weird tattoos. That allow her to, like, sense ghosts' presence, like, to see ghosts. Uh. and But it, like, nearly kills her to, like, get the tattoos or whatever. Some weird shit. This is, she like, also, a ninja thing. She also gets, like, a flashlight that lets her stun the ghosts. Right. That's not a ninja thing at all. No. I don't, that no. one, yeah, not so much. I think that kind of broke the theme with but the But, yeah, so, but once she has the tattoos, like, she had, like, a... She had, like... You know, just like black ninja pants, whatever. And she had like a, a weird little coat thing with a hood that had no sleeves, like a cute Japanese ninja girl hoodie thing. Right. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And then after she gets the tattoos, that's off of her character model. And she's just like wearing a corset. <laughs> and so you can see the tattoos on her back. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, and then she it. has like a headband with a feather in it for some reason. <laughs> Because I guess she saw like a, like a like a like a shaman to get the tattoos or whatever. Uh, okay, and so he gave her a, a turkey feather, a turkey feather, yeah, a headband. Hand. Okay, yeah. yeah, it's like super weird. It's like a, like two missions where you use those mechanics. Yeah, like it's a like Navajo ninja. Yeah, it's like why did they spend the time and money on this? <laughs> like, <laughs> what if that they were planning a spinoff game? They might for have. that character, or like it was a concept that didn't get used in the main game, and they were like tacking it on the end. Right. Because it doesn't tie into the plot of the main game at all. No, it doesn't seem like it would. Yeah, like, you can play it and it doesn't, like, spoil yeah. anything, you know, it just... Seems really just like a hanging thread. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Pull it and the whole thing will unravel. If you want to destroy the podcast, whoa, 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 make that joke and I'll walk away. <laughs> As walk away, watch me unravel. I'll turn off the recording. Gotta do it now. Gotta do it now. All right, I'm doing it now.